this. It speaks about Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I, I love that verse because it tells us what exactly the good news of God's salvation does for us. Number one, it brings us life. That's in the here and now. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't really know Christ, you're not living. I don't know how you could get that wrong. It's direct enough, isn't it? But, but that's, that's fact. If you want to find full life, you'll find full life only in living with Jesus. All right, I missed a week last week. Let me train you a little again, okay? All right. If you want to find full life, you'll only find full life in living with Jesus. Amen. Oh, good. All right, we're back to, we're back to normal. We'll keep going, all right? But that's where you're going to find true life. So, so through Christ... We found life, and through Christ, we find immortality. That is, we will not die. We find life in the here and now, and life that is eternal through the Lord Jesus Christ, because he destroyed death. Now, God is not the author of death. It wasn't his will. It was never his intention that anyone should suffer the pain of loss because God's a good God. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of the whole story of humanity in the book of Genesis, it points out really clearly that God created paradise for us. That's what God wanted for us. God prepared a perfect place for mankind. Genesis chapter 2 <clears throat> And verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. So, so God made everything, right? God makes the heaven and the earth, everything there is, every kind of plant, tree, flower. God, God looks at it all and it's like, God says, this is good. I'm going to guess God's got a pretty high standard. So when God says this is good, it's good. And God looks at everything here that's good. And then he looks for what's the goodest and says, that's where I'm going to plant a special place for Adam. So in all of his creation, he said, no, but I want something even more special for Adam. And Adam was placed in Eden in this beautiful paradise God built for him. Can you imagine that? I, I, I've been privileged to travel quite a lot in the course of my life. I've seen a lot of different countries and a lot of different places and some absolutely breathtaking landscapes. God looks at what he made and says, in the middle of all this, I'm going to create something even more special. And that's what he wanted for mankind. Now, there's no definitive explanation as to where Eden was. Some folks say it's in modern-day Iraq, and uh, there are arguments for that argument. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, am I going to be put up or down by knowing where Eden was? God made a place for Adam, a very special place for Adam, 
because God wanted him to live with the best, in the best, enjoying the best, which was fellowship with him. And that is an introduction for you and I as to what God wants for us. God wants us living the best life. God wants us to be living a blessed life. And God wants to be living us to be living the most fulfilling life that we can. That's God's plan. So that's how it all began. Then, then in Genesis 2 verse 9, it says, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Some folks have said to me, perhaps Adam was a vegetarian. That's a disturbing thought, isn't it? <laughs> No, just kidding. For you vegetarians, I love it. No, I no, I do. I love vegetarians. It means I've got more steak. So, and anyway, anyway. Uh, sorry, sorry. Back to the story. Back to the story. All right, all right. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there were all kinds of trees in this garden with all kinds of luscious fruit. And, and there were two specific trees in the middle of the garden that are named. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was one stipulation that God had for Adam. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man... You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. You've got all this. It is fabulous. It is fantastic. The fruit is outrageous. You can eat from anywhere you want, just that one tree. Yeah, and we all know where human nature goes with that, don't we? I don't know if we got it from Adam and it came down in the genes or, 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 whether, or whether it's something we all just go towards, but God made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, you mustn't eat that. Now, some of you might think, well, if God hadn't, why did he make that tree in the first place? And we talked about this in our foundations class a few weeks ago, where we talked about good and evil. And we were saying that when God made mankind, he wanted people who would love him by choice. So he didn't program humanity to love him. He made us with a free will, which means we have to have a choice. Am I going to do God's thing or am I going to go my own way? Will I follow God or will I follow myself? And the, the thing about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the, the serpent said, said to Eve, if you eat from this, you're going to become like God. That was the real problem with the fruit of that tree. It was Adam and Eve saying, I want to be like God. Now, you might say, well, hey, I'd never say that. But every time you do an act that is contrary to what God would want, you are doing that. You're saying what God says doesn't matter I'm going to do my thing. His way doesn't count to me. 
I'm going to do it my way. And every time we, we go down that road, we are saying, I want to be like God. I'm going, to, I'm going to take control, and I'm not going to listen to what he says. So Adam, Adam lived happily, freely in this paradise of God until he sinned. And when he sinned, he became self-conscious, and when he sinned, he hid from God. He had lived with no thought of life ending, but with sin came separation from God and eventually death. And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. If you, if you think God is distant from you right now, if you think God isn't near to you right now, I'm just going to ask you this question. Could it be that there's things in your life that actually distance you from God? I didn't say God from you, I said you from God. When Adam sinned, God didn't run away, Adam hid. That's a smart move, isn't it? Here's a bush, I'll hide away from God. He won't know where I am. <laughs> sin separates us from God. And if we let sin run its course, it will end up separating us from God eternally. The outcome of all this in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3, 24, speaks about God being, uh, Adam being driven out of the Garden of Eden. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So when Adam sinned, he no longer had access to the tree of life. And because he didn't have access to the tree of life, one day he was going to die. And he did. He lived a long time. But one day he was going to die. The outcome was death. It was never God's plan. It wasn't God's purpose. God planted paradise for him. But his sin spoiled it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us this. Just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death, that was the outcome, through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So death was never the plan of God, but the fact is when sin entered the world, it became part of the curse and passed down then through generations. And the fact is there is no tree of life that you and I have access to. And the fact is that one day we will die. Here's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. I want you to read this, uh, not as a kind of morbid thought, but just as a statement. Everybody has to die. Okay, the mortality rate amongst human beings is 100%, right? Everyone has to die. But it's important to get a hold of that because the, the, the thing is this, we're, we're not made for here. We're made for there. This isn't meant to be forever. That is forever. This is not paradise. That will be paradise. That, that's the thing. And, and everyone has to die. Now, when it comes to the time and when it comes to how, we don't know. God knows because he knows everything ahead of time. But the fact is, God didn't intend it to go this way. But man's sin pulled everything in this direction. 
In, in uh, Paradise Lost, the, the English poet John Milton wrote this um, in 1667. I remember when it was published. And in 1667, he wrote Paradise Lost, which was, which was actually 10 books with over 10,000 lines of verse. And in it, he describes what we call the fall, that is Adam's sin, and what Satan did after Adam and Eve sinned. And what he says in his poems is this. He, he, he pictures Satan returning triumphantly to hell with the praise of all his demon angels, and he tells them the scheme worked, mankind has fallen, and now he's in control of paradise. God created paradise for us. That's what God wanted for us. And we lost it. We live in a sin-filled, messed up world. And we tend to live, if we don't know Christ, guilty, empty, and separated from the source of eternal life. But God created paradise for us, but it was lost. Okay, now here's the next bit. Jesus repurchased paradise for us. Paradise lost here because of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus repurchased paradise for us. William Barclay calls this the, the, the cost of the Christian gospel. The, cross, the cost of the Christian gospel is that Jesus paid the price so that paradise could be reopened to you and I. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now, th those two verses have got so much in them. Basically, it starts with this. Since we're flesh and blood, Jesus chose to become flesh and blood like us. And having chosen to become flesh and blood like us, he chose to die in our place paying the penalty for our sin so that he could break the power of death. And he did that on the third day. When he rose from the dead, he had broken the power of death. It could not hold him down. But here's the next bit. Jesus died so that he could free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. That is a huge thing, to be freed from the slavery of the fear of death. Because so many people live with that somewhere in the back of their mind. They're terrified of the thought of dying. They're terrified of, of, of what comes when death arrives or more so what happens after death. I want to tell you this, I put in my, I, I put in my order for how I'd like to die comfortably, quietly laying in my bed. That's, you know, so, so I, put the, I put the order in. But death has no fear as far as I'm concerned. 
and death should have no fear as far as you're concerned. I prefer that it was simple and quick and painless, but here's the reality. Death itself was defeated by Jesus so that we could be delivered from the fear of death. At some point, everyone who belongs to him will pass from this life into eternity. That's not a fearful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's the inheritance of every child of God. Jesus had one purpose in coming. That's what it says here in Hebrews chapter 2. He came to break the power of the one who held the power of death and to free us from the fear of death. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, was, was the source of the, the problem. The tree from which Adam and Eve ate. And then Jesus comes, and, and very significantly, a different kind of tree became the source of our salvation. Galatians chapter 3, it says this. In, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The tree was our downfall. The tree introduced death. Christ hung on a tree, the Bible says. Acts 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. And, and the cross of Christ this morning speaks hope, and it speaks life, and it speaks victory. It speaks the defeat of death for us. What happened over there is history that is now overshadowed by what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 says this. It speaks of our Savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Back to that core verse, light and immortality. Life and immortality to light. That's the gospel. The gospel is there is life and there is eternal life. And Christ brought them to light. That's the gospel message that we own as a church, that we carry as a church, that we share as individuals and collectively together to shine out the good news. There is life and there is immortality to be found because Christ died so that he could cancel what happens through our sin. The good news is there is life for here and now and there is immortality for eternity through Jesus. Death doesn't win because Jesus has repurchased paradise for us. Jesus has repurchased paradise for us. Now, I'm not taking lightly the fact that for those of us left behind, Death can be devastating. The loss of a loved one can be incredibly traumatic. It brings about a lot of feelings and emotions, loss and 
loneliness, maybe confusion, fear, anger, emptiness, finality. Death of a loved one is the most painful experience. But I do want to make this point. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. Look, look at this next bit. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. When you see a Christian grieving, don't make any mistake. The grief is very real, but it's not the grief of the hopeless. It's not the grief of despair. It's not the grief of finality, because Christ has defeated death for us and repurchased paradise on our behalf. Jesus repurchased paradise. And then let me just say this to you as we look forward from there. God has recreated paradise for us. God has recreated paradise for us. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, it says this, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here was the paradise that was lost. The tree of life was there, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil got the better. Here is paradise repurchased because Jesus hung on a tree for us. And here is paradise recreated in heaven itself. And the tree of life is there. Access unending to the source of eternal life. Three trees. The first tree was man's downfall. The second tree was man's salvation. And the third tree is the believer's eternal reward. The tree's back in Revelation. In fact, in Revelation chapter 22, which gives us a description of heaven, we've, um, in our foundations course this last week, we covered a, a lot of territory um, about heaven. But the fact is, for everything you read in the Bible that describes heaven, I, I'm not sure it really does it. Because you're trying to actually describe the indescribable to people whose grasp is limited, right? You're trying to define something that is absolutely unbelievable, never seen before, never experienced before, to, 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 to people who really we have limited understanding. So the pictures we have by themselves are outstanding. The terms that it's put in in Revelation are fantastic. People say to me, do you really think the streets of gold in heaven? I, say, I don't know. I mean, I tend to think probably not. It's trying to describe just the wonder of it. How, how, do, you, how do you explain how magnificent it is? Oh, the streets are, who knows? Maybe they are paved with gold. It's good. Don't go chipping, don't go chipping at them and breaking them up, okay? Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
tree of life is right there in the center of heaven itself. Revelation 22:14 speaks of the right to enter in through the gates of the city and to eat the fruit from the tree of life. Life and immortality through Christ who has defeated death. The story of the Bible takes us from the garden where everything went south to the city where everything is absolutely magnificent. From the garden to the city. The journey of our lives is the journey from alone without God to the city of God. And what's in the middle that changes it all? Christ died for our sins. Jesus defeated death on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 53 reminds us our earthly bodies, the ones we have now that can die, must be transformed into heavenly bodies that cannot perish but will live forever. When this happens, then at last this scripture will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Our earthly bodies, this, this, this body I'm living in now, this cannot go to heaven. So if I'm going to become immortal, if I'm going to live forever, then I am going to let go of this body that I live in. And I am going to go to heaven where I receive a new body, a different body. Because actually this body isn't me. Dear Lord, I'm much younger. <laughs> right? This, 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 this body isn't me. But the me will have a new and an eternal home. Back in, uh, back in 1978, I got a call uh, one Saturday late afternoon from my brother, and uh, he told them that my mother was in hospital. They thought she'd had a stroke, and, uh, and she had, and she'd been uh, hospitalized, and she was in a coma. And um, I, I went, uh, we lived about 600 miles away. I, I went there to be there with her at the hospital and we, we were there with her um, for five or six days and then on the Thursday evening um, we were gathered around her bed, my dad's there, my, my brother's there, my, my, uh, my brothers are there, my sister's there and uh, we're there around the bed and we're watching and some of you know the kind of experience where, where you're always waiting for the next breath and seeing if it comes. And we, we, we stood there by my mother's bed, and as we had for days, her breathing became more shallow that evening until we reached the point where the next breath did not come. And in the moment when I realized she was not going to breathe again, Here's what I said to myself. I didn't say it out loud because not all my family were believers. When she breathed her last, here's what I said. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where death is your sting. Where grave is your victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Then we huddled together and cried our eyes out. But listen, don't let tears that you see detract from the fact death doesn't win. My mother knew the Lord. My mother was in heaven at that moment. Where death is your sting, where grave is your victory, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever your life might be at right now and whatever might have been your experiences in recent months or years, I just want to remind you today, if you know the Lord, death is the entrance into life that's eternal, to the paradise that God has created for us. It's the end of nothing. It's the beginning of everything. And as I just draw to a close, I, I do want to say this. The cross is the deciding and separating place that impacts the quality of our life now and of our eternity. And for every single person who has recognized Christ died for my sin and owned him as your Lord and Savior. Eternal life is the gift of God. But if you have never done that, then you're, you're in, in a difficult place because you're not enjoying the fullness of life God made you for in the here and now. And you will not enjoy the paradise of God in the future. Eternal life begins when you open your heart to Jesus. And if you've never fully done that, I want to invite you to do that as we pray together now. Let's pray. And as we pray, I, I want to invite you, if you've never fully committed your life to Jesus, today to open your heart to him and say, Lord, I need you. I know I've sinned. I know I've been separated from you. But I believe you died to pay for my sin and to open heaven to me. Lord, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Please forgive me. Make me your child and give me the assurance of eternal life. Amen.